I love it. And I listen to podcasts all the time. And I, I was like, I should be listening to podcasts that are more relevant to my industry instead of like random tech and business. And I found your podcast and I instantly listened to like 10 episodes. And then I was like, I'm just going to hit these guys up. So I love it. That's beautiful. That's the best uh, testament we could have for this podcast. For sure. Okay. Ready? This is it. This is the show. What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? Labor weekend's coming in hot. Summer's wrapping up. Justin, it is mm, practically mid-August, it feels like. How's your summer been? What What's up? I, it is not pumpkin spice season yet. I refuse to acknowledge that summer is on its way out, although we are 12 days from my kids starting school wow. uh, upon recording here, which, it, listen, we're not talking post-Labor Day school start I was today. I'm say. just saying, it's pretty early. Pretty early. Uh, summer's been great. I just got back from a week in the UP with the family. You know we love the Grand Marais area. Perfect weather, perfect sunsets. It was it was great. This year we chose to camp. How did that go? It is the one time we've camped this year. Probably the only time we'll camp this year. I thought it went it went great. We had great weather. I think that's oh, what makes it right. Like if you were camping totally. and all of a sudden it's a hailstorm out, it's it's not the same experience exactly. So no, it was fantastic. I am already lamenting. I mean, fall is my favorite season, so I should be excited that we're heading in this direction. But I don't know; it's been a nice summer, and I uh, it, it is starting to slip away. But but no, no no pumpkin spice lattes yet. Not quite yet. Soon, I'm sure. Um, yeah, we're camping this weekend just over at Sleepy Hollow, so hopefully we have good weather there too. And if not, you're 20 minutes from home. <laughs> True. We had our summer board meeting last week on Mackinac Island, Mission Point Resort, and the Island House, and. That yeah, they hosted great events for the summer board meeting. So I wanted to give them a shout out at the top of the latest episode of the pod. Shout out to Liz Ware, one a guest on this podcast once upon a time, uh, and co-owner of Mission Point did a fantastic job. Always does do a fantastic job for so many things. Obviously, for hosting this event and doing a great job for helping us launch a women in hospitality leadership chapter up in Mackinac Island. That's a big deal. Uh, she's a great leader uh, in this industry and, and, and we're fortunate to have her on our board of directors. Absolutely. And Todd Calvert hosted a dinner with his new pizza oven at Ice House in the back of the island house there. And the pizza was good. Did you have any? It was so good. I mean, pepperoni is usually boring, but there was some sort of hot honey with it. That's, so spicy. Yeah. Really good. Really I, good. That was my first time having the hot honey and now I'm like fully on the All hot in. honey pizza train. So. It was it was fantastic. Todd, obviously, longtime living legend. Uh, on on the podcast, but I'll go back to Liz real quick. Also, the only person ever to drop an f bomb uh, on this on podcast. podcast, so you know, a special place in my heart, frankly, <laughs> for for her willingness to let it out. And if I remember correctly, it was in defense of the value of Pure Michigan. So I'm all I'm doubly in on that one. Maybe we should get her back on this fall. Yeah, I like it. Uh, but no, great summer board meeting, great conversation had by by the organization. I think it was it was a great three days spent. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's get into Pineapple Express, current events. Joe, are we going to let her just bury the lead lead? The lead lead of this podcast? It's nowhere on my on my sheet here. I turned 30. We talked about oh, it last time, Justin. Right. No, that's not what we're talking about. Major life event after major life event for one Emily Daunt, who is now 
engaged to be married. Congratulations, Congrats. Emily. Big deal. Thank you. Thank you. Show the listeners the ring. Here you go. I'll scratch it <laughs> oh, on the mic. <laughs> amazing. No, very exciting stuff. Maybe uh, we should we should uh, splice in the the representative filler asking me when uh, Tyler was gonna <laughs> propose to me from a few episodes again that we that ended up on the cutting room floor. I Thank like you. That. I like that. Well, congratulations. Uh, and now all of our listeners know the big news. Yes, thirty's not so bad, but we'll see. <laughs> okay, now can we do a pineapple express? All right, hit it. Okay, so a couple stories here. One that I actually found really interesting is that Saturday brunch is now restaurant's busiest day part, according to a new study from Square. So more than 10% of all dining dollars are spent from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Saturdays, which has replaced Friday lunch as the industry's peak period, according to their data. So that's in comparison to in 2019, that was at 8.5% of sales. So I, I found it interesting. It definitely leans into, you know, people are still working hybrid or remote. And so it's taking away that that business from restaurants. But how can operators lean into this information as well and revamp their menus or offer that day part as an experience? So this is bigger than Sunday fun day, which is supposed to be Sunday brunch. Right. That bleeds into the afternoon and far too much time in one place, probably consuming uh, some mimosas. Sounds like you've done that maybe a couple of times. Like a long time ago. Sure, sure. Really trailblazing back in my 20s, but that, that doesn't exist. I love brunch personally. It is very hard. Brunch is not the right meal when you have kids who you are trying to get mm. in and out before they break something. <laughs> Before it just gets real ugly, you hope there's not going to be a breakdown, especially with the youngest one. Uh, so, uh, you know, listen, if, if if my wife and I can ever get out and have a, a, a kid free experience, brunch would be fantastic. It's not the best, not the best day part to use some industry <laughs> language for, for for those with kids. But uh, that's that's interesting news. That's fair. Do you have a favorite brunch spot or you're just you're just in and out? I mean, I've probably been to brunch the most locally at Beggars. Oh, so okay. shout out to Dewey Hudson Cafe in Detroit. Those does an amazing brunch, and there are a few others in Detroit that do a great job. You? I, I feel like I feel like you're uh, an Anna's house regular now that that's opened up as uh, well. I'd like to have. Well, I'll see. I'll segue. I'll segue that too. I love having you have on here that that lunch is really taking the hit. That that the business lunch doesn't happen quite as often anymore. I'm coming in hot to this recording from a a, a breakfast meeting. I love a good breakfast meeting. Yeah, I like the, I like the food more. I'm a morning person anyway, so you know by the time I'm having an eight o'clock or eight thirty breakfast, I'm three hours up, two two and a half hours up, so I'm ready to go. Huh? Interesting. Uh, better than lunch to me, so I did, like I, I try to schedule whenever possible more breakfast meetings. Did you have a mimosa? <laughs> no, <laughs> not quite the right, not quite the right day part for me. Got it. Okay. Yeah, Anna's house is is a good one. Beggars is also a staple. Okay, so the next story that we have is that there are two new hotels opening in Lansing that are expected to bring more than 200 jobs to the city. So these guys are members of ours and have been on our radar for quite some time. But the Hyatt House and the AC Hotel by Marriott, owned by Concord Hospitality, which has been a member for a while. Um, It's a dual branded hotel that was a part of the $250 million Red Cedar development on Michigan Avenue. So if you're local, you're probably familiar with that development and it being in the works. And each of the hotels will require around 100 staff members. So 
Corey Harvey is a lead staff person over there at those two hotels. Um, she's been involved with Women in Hospitality Leadership with us for quite some time, and she runs the newer hotel across from Lugnut Stadium. So kind of a hyper-local information, but I think people around here have been ready for those hotels to open and check them out. So. Oh, yeah. To yeah, give not, it a a minute, shout. not a minute too soon. I like that development, and I think there needed to be more options. People are flooding in, especially now. We we don't have to make this a, a Big Ten expansion discussion, but the fact that we're going to have some people flying in from all over the freaking country now, right? Now that's, from, yeah, that's from the true. Northwest to uh, I saw something the other day that the students in East Lansing would would have a shorter flight to London than they would have to going to play games in, in Washington and Oregon. Oh, wow. So that is, and we played Washington last year, uh, that is the reality of our new hyper-expanded and with USC and UCLA coming in. Yeah. All that is, to bring it back to the industry, is there's going to be more people coming from a long way and who are clearly going to need places to stay. And the Graduate Hotel is one of my all-time favorites in East Lansing. It only has so much capacity to deal with all, right. of, all of that travel coming in. So I think those are going to do some great business as well. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I I think I saw eye roll from producer Joe on the Big Ten discussion, but maybe we can save that for uh, later this month or next episode. We're short for time, and I feel like I have a lot to say, so uh, we can save it, but not a fan. Almighty dollar always wins, Joe. Coast to coast. Which may be the new name of the, the conference, it feels like at some point. Just like the coast to coast conference. Like just It's not the Midwest. It is literally everywhere in between. All right. Pineapple plaudits. Yeah, we have several on this list right now. Hotel Walloon, who we have talked about several times on this podcast. They're always hitting my Google alerts. They won uh, Resort Star of the Year from our association at Stars of the Industry Awards last year. Subtle plug to get your nominations in for Stars of the Industry Awards. But they were named Best Resort in the Midwest by Travel and Leisure Magazine. So, Hotel Walloon is an upscale boutique hotel overlooking Walloon Lake. I feel like at this point, like someone from the MRLA needs to take a trip to this hotel because we've talked about it so many times. They have uh, a vintage charm, 32 rooms, and Walloon Lake is the spot where author Ernest Hemingway spent his childhood summers. So a lot of historical stuff involved there, too. So. Looks they, like a great place. They know we love them. Good Lord. We're, I mean, at this point, we're just begging them to give us some 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 free nights. I mean, we, this is the third time they've come up on this podcast. <laughs> Let's hope some of them are listening. Uh, but no, that is a fantastic property. It's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's just, it is, can I use the word majestic? It is It is you that can. kind of a property. And I think they've really elevated their game to meet to meet that opportunity in the last couple of years. Um, and we will. We will get up there in some capacity. We should at least have them on the podcast, probably. Sure. I'll work on that. Also, that made the top 10 of that list, Hotel Iroquois, Island House, and Grand Hotel, all on Mackinac Island. So worth a shout as well, making it into the top 10. No surprises there. Also on the list, Buddy's Pizza, who we often talk about on this podcast as well, was named a new Michigan Athletics partner. They signed a five-year agreement to be a partner with Michigan Athletics, serve its pizza at concession stands throughout several sports sites, sports venues. What am I saying? There. 
People are really going to start wondering if we are actually getting secret sponsorships. That's also like the third or fourth time Buddies. I mean, Buddies, didn't we just talk about Buddies doing a pizza I, thing I last think, time? I think we did, yeah. Oh, yeah, with the barbecue. Yeah, Slow's Barbecue. With Slow's Barbecue, which was, you know, that did sound great. I think we should also make reference. They just hired a new CEO. Chris Tussing has, is in as CEO at Buddies Pizza, formerly the chief marketing officer for Marco's. Oh, which nice. is a brand has, that has grown tremendously. So yeah. good hire for, for buddies. And, uh, you know, we'll be reaching out shortly to make sure we can uh, sustain a great relationship. Yeah. They've also been a guest on the pod. Absolutely. So. There's a trend here. Okay. Last one on the list. Sweet Encounter, who is um, in the building, located in the building that we're currently sitting in for the studio, is a finalist in the Michigan New Favorite Snack Competition, which is a competition hosted by the Blue Water Chamber over in the Port Huron area. This is their second annual competition and it aims to provide capital to small businesses that have fewer than 10 employees. The competition went from 50 original entries to 20 finalists and Sweet Encounter Bakery is nominated in the confectionery creations category. It's a tongue twister for their salted caramel cupcake jar and could they're they're competing to win $75,000 in cash prizes and then also um, receive a distribution agreement with All Star Services, which is a vending machine company. So I feel like they're always looking for new opportunities for growth. And Nikki, they're a member of ours. And Nikki Thompson Frazier is a great restaurant leader. Great human being. Yes. Also, also an active student. Yes. And this is a great segue. Active student in the Hospitality Training Institute of Michigan. The Tim. The Tim. Yes. More to come on that. More to come on that. Soon. Okay. So I think we're moving into For Fork's Sake, which I can give you you the mic on most of that please thank you so much yeah we'll go right back to talking about the tim the training institute the hospitality training institute of michigan we are excited and proud to announce that we received some funding in this this year's budget to develop the hospitality training institute of michigan we've talked about it before uh, that is an institute we, we, we at the association created in late 2021, seeing the needs of this industry coming out of the pandemic, that there really needed to be something that was filling some training needs and some recruitment opportunities for this industry after losing 30%, uh, give or take, of our workforce. And as we slowly try to cl- claw that number back to zero, that there needed to be some opportunities that showed a pathway of opportunity in the industry, some certification that made people believe that this didn't just have to be their first job. It can be one that they can grow with and stay with. And so we're proud of, of having built that and really made the pitch to the legislature that after being closed for 159 days, the legislature or the the industry needed some help. And the legislature and the governor's office all believed in what we were uh, trying to to push with them and, and $10 million coming to that training institute. So you're going to see a lot more from us so in the near future. More. So much more. <laughs> Maybe more than you're looking for from us in the near future on free training opportunities for your team members, a way to elevate them. You have someone that you want to make a manager, uh, but you think they need to some skill set. You want to see if they can handle that. This is a great opportunity. If you already have a manager that you think could uh, fine-tune some of those skills, this is a great way to to give that for them free of charge, right? It's a very low-risk proposition. And then we're also going to be finding ways to incentivize to keep people in through the program. 
So not just free to the student, but a chance to actually, upon getting certification, get a stipend to support them for doing so. So stay tuned as we build this out. But that that money is coming soon and, and us developing opportunities, no matter where you are in the state to have a training course uh, with the Hospitality Training Institute of Michigan. It's coming. And so we're excited and, and appreciative, frankly, of our friends in the legislature and the governor for, for signing that budget and, uh, and making sure that we were part of their priorities. Next issue, and we haven't really talked about this in detail yet. We did hear from the Michigan Supreme Court in late June. We know that they are going to take on appeal, somewhat to our surprise, the adopt and amend issue. If we have talked about tip credit, if it feels like we've talked about tip credit on this podcast before, it's because we have numerous times. The issue that will not go away, uh, you all remember who are listeners that uh, way back in 2018, the legislature went out of their way to adopt two ballot proposals that would have been very harmful to the restaurant industry, especially the one seeking not just to raise the minimum wage, but to eliminate the tipped minimum wage like so many states in this country operate with. And, And we worked with the legislature and the governor back then to get them to amend those proposals in a way that was, that still raised the minimum wage, right? We, nothing went away. The, the minimum wage in the state still did go up, but it retained a tip credit, which allows this restaurant industry to succeed. It allows servers, even more importantly, I think, to make great money, which is what they are doing right now, well over $27 an hour on average statewide. Uh, and it worked for both sides. It worked for operators. It worked really well for servers and, frankly, guests like being in control uh, of the process uh, through through tipping. So uh, that is now in question again, the Supreme Court choosing to take up on appeal this case, which you know we had reported previously that we that we did win in court of appeals pretty definitively, right? We talked about the unanimous three three zero decision, thought maybe that would be the end of this issue legally, but somewhat to mind and many other surprise, uh, the Supreme Court is going to take this up, which means they will make a ruling and there's a very real chance they will rule that what the legislature did is unconstitutional. And if they do that, that means that 2018 ballot proposal that eliminated the tip credit will become law. That's terrifying. Sure is. So we're aware of that. We are working on we are working on a strategy, I think, that can retain a tip credit. I think we, we have heard loud and clear from our members for years that a responsible uh, and, and, and spread out increase in the minimum wage that's predictable is, is something that can be absorbed in the, by this industry. They can adapt to eliminating the tip credit, being one of the few states that, that actually do that would be devastating and, and dramatically change the scope of this industry. And, and uh, dramatically, as we've talked about in the past, would cost a lot of jobs, would cost some, cause some more restaurant closures. We can avoid that, we believe while still getting a legislative win for for those who want to see the minimum wage increase. So we'll be having a lot of conversations in coming months. Uh, Know that we have prioritized that as a, a top tier priority for the for the industry at the association and something will be will be focused on heavily in the in the coming months. Uh, anything else you think we need to hit on for Fork's sake? Uh, no, I think if you're good, I'm good to run into uh, our interview today. Let's do it. Who do we have? Okay. David Kwiatkowski joins us today from the Detroit Optimist Society. After graduating in 2000 from the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan with a Bachelor of Business Studies, Kwiatkowski moved to Chicago where he traded equity options on the Chicago Board Options Exchange. It was there he was bitten by the craft cocktail bug and in 2009 decided to return to his hometown to open Detroit's first craft cocktail bar, The Sugar House. 
Discovering a deep affection for hospitality, he teamed up with friend and longtime Wolfgang Puck trained chef Mark Joslia to open their fine dining restaurant, Wright & Company. Kwiatkowski has since opened many more properties, including Honest John's, Bad Luck, Mutiny Tiki Bar, Grandma Bob's Pizza, Time Will Tell, and Last Chance Saloon. His most recent project, Fingers Crossed, is a bistro located in Northport, Michigan, and his only property outside of the city of Detroit proper. In addition to overseeing the operations of his bars and restaurants, Kwiatkowski also consults for outside groups on a wide range of hospitality topics from bar ergonomics and construction to cocktail menu development and training. So, David, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Thanks. I'm a big fan. It's it's uh, great to be on. I also should say, noteworthy, we have a speaker uh, or a guest request form on our website, and you submitted via that, and that was a big, big, a big win for us. Yeah, David. big win for us <laughs> that we have listeners that want to join the pod. So, yeah, for no, for sure, for sure. Well, I, I love it, and I listen to podcasts all the time. And I, I was like, I should be listening to podcasts that are more relevant to my industry instead of like random tech and business. And I found your podcast, and I instantly listened to like. 10 episodes. And then I was like, I'm just going to hit these guys up. So I love it. That's beautiful. That's the best uh, testament we could have for this podcast. (laughs) Okay, well, well, let's get into it. So looking at the start of your career, how did you make the leap from trading options to craft cocktails and the hospitality industry overall? Was it a slow burn when you were in Chicago or an aha moment where you're like, this is actually what I'm meant to do and I'm going to go all in? Yeah, it was kind of a slow burn. I had been, I had while I was at university and while I was trading in Chicago, I had been to um, like uh, Milk and Honey in New York and and there was a Violet Hour in Chicago, which is a great bar. And I had really been passionate about that. And I assumed that I would just stay in finance for the rest of my life. Things took kind of a different turn. And I was sort of in a very short period of time presented with the opportunity to buy, you know, the, the empty bar next to Slow's Barbecue in Corktown, Detroit which was my friend Phil owned Slows. And it was just kind of, it kind of fell together. And so so I sort of went from like being a a cocktail fan and like having a blog and doing it sort of as, you know, as a hobby to uh, really seriously just turning it into a career in a very short period of time. I just assumed being in trading options as we went into the Great Recession just caused a whole lot of consumption of cocktails at the time <laughs> yeah. period. And the uh, the aha moment was, I should just make this a career because yeah. it is a rough economy out there. Truly, yeah. The vice industry, right? We do we do well <laughs> when the uh, when times are good and we do well when times are bad. Um, no, you're not wrong. There was definitely a lot of, uh, you know, after September 11th and trading was really rough, there was a lot of uh, drinking going on and, and uh, the Great Recession certainly helped with that. Amen. So on that note, you know, your first spot was a craft cocktail bar and we couldn't have a more fitting guest as Cocktails to Go just became a permanent fixture in Michigan. And I was looking at some of your websites and you guys offer Cocktails to Go. How has the ability to have that as a permanent uh, infrastructure in Michigan impact your business at Sugar House or any of your other operations? Yeah, I mean, this is obviously amazing news for us. We're really and thank you to you guys for you know helping push this legislation through. It's it's huge. I mean, it, during the pandemic, obviously, we were just completely reliant on that, and so it was like a hundred percent of our revenue at Sugar House, and because we didn't have you know food to go, so our cocktail bars were just doing cocktails to go. And fortunately, we have a pretty good following and a great um, customer base, and so we were able to sell a lot of cocktails to go and and really kind of help pay the bills. Uh, and now it's it's probably about fifteen percent of our overall revenue at Sugar House, which is fantastic because that's 
really, you know, high profit, low labor units. You know, I mean, we, we can make them pretty quickly and it's not like you have to service a guest or anything like that. It's just, people just do a grab and go. And um, it's a really pretty lucrative little um, side business that we've got going on. Yeah, it's nice to hear that in in the real world, so to say, that legislation like this can have a an impact for operators. Do you see Do you see a demographic difference? I, I think of it on the food side that there's there is a willingness by a younger demographic, Gen Z, and and younger millennials to go all in and pay for delivery of things that seem absurd to me to have <laughs> delivery to your house and the price point necessary to get it there. But do you see the same thing on the cocktail side that there's just a younger demographic where the real demand is to pull this type of this type of sophisticated cocktail directly to them at their home? Interesting. I don't see it as an age. I don't see it really as a demographic thing. We, I guess that hmm, that's a really interesting question. The younger people I feel like are less inclined to drink in general, which kind of goes to the non-alcoholic NA stuff, uh, the mocktail stuff. I think that the base, the customer base that we've built up at Sugar House is just willing to pay for the quality, you know, young or old or, you know, whatever age they are, they're, they're just kind of like, they've gotten used to it and they're willing to say, okay, I'm going to drop 40 bucks on a 750 milliliter of a really great drink that I can take to a party or, or something like that. Right. So I, I kind of associate it with just the health of the brand um, and the positioning of the brand, but that's, I have not really thought about it in terms of demographics. You brought that up though. I think it's fascinating on the age thing. Cause I know we'll, we'll, I think we want to get into mocktails a little bit cause there's a big future there. There is, sure. I have a brother who just graduated from, from U of M and which is, listen, I, I know you are as well. It's painful to me as a, as a <laughs> Michigan state alum who I felt oh, like boy. spent his entire life trying to indoctrinate him in the green and white. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm actually quite proud of him, but he and all of his friends have a different approach to alcohol consumption than it feels like my generation did at all. And I just think it's really interesting and in how you are, how do you, for a place like Sugar House, especially, how do you, how do you plan on, on, on dealing with that, that demographic change? Yeah. Avoiding them and just selling to the old people. Uh, no, I, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really gotten my head around it. We definitely have a, I mean, we can go into mocktails as you guys like. We, we definitely offer mocktails. We have a mocktail menu. Our pizza shop across the street from Sugar House is called Grandma Bob's. And it is about 35% vegan and it is like, it is the lowest uh, alcohol selling business that we have and definitely is the youngest demographic. So we're seeing that. Yeah. So like Wright and Company, for example, it was about 45% alcohol, 55% food, which is like the highest restaurant percentage that we have. And then it kind of, kind of scales down, but, but Grandma Bob's is way down there in terms of an overall sales figure from alcohol versus food. But again, it's it's younger people, and we I find that the vegans don't drink as much. So it's a yeah, it's a really interesting change that's happening. I, again, I think that all this stuff is is cyclical, and it'll all just sort of you know come out in the wash eventually. Everybody will start drinking again. I hope, but you know, I I think that it'll. I, I don't know. I'm I'm not I haven't like built a big contingent plan. It's as to if everybody stops drinking. I don't think it's going to happen. What's your approach to the the trends in the mocktail and just the non alcoholic? beer trend these days too? Because there's so many craft NAs as well as everyone leans into that trend. Do you track that as a separate category or just non-alcoholic? Yeah. Yep. So we have, we definitely have like um, soft drinks and then we definitely have a category of non-alcoholic beer and a category of non-alcoholic cocktails that I, I just am a kind of a data geek. And so we track those each specifically. So if somebody wants a Coca-Cola, it doesn't get lumped in with the non-alcoholic cocktails, for example. And, and obviously, there are different price points there as well. So 
Uh, we, we track all of them, but I mean, I love it. I, I, we have, have been buying some non-alcoholic beer from a company called Untitled Art that is making these IPAs that taste every bit as good as a alcoholic IPA, and there's just no alcohol in them. I don't, I don't care for the some of the fake like non-alcoholic gins and the alcohol yeah. replacement stuff. Like that's, I think that stuff is just insane because you know you're spending thirty bucks to like per- perfume in your drink. I can make you a better drink right. with ginger syrup and you know fresh ginger syrup and lemon juice. I can make you a better drink. You know, like. So I think that that stuff's kind of a fad and I don't see a lot, a big future in it, but I do like our friend owns um, Cosmara Club, which is made in uh, Michigan and um, he's got spectacular products and, and we sell a lot of those. So kind of that non-alcoholic um, bitter seltzers, if you haven't seen those. Okay. Yeah. They're starting to have more NA seltzers now that that's creeping into that space now too, which is just interesting. I find it interesting. Yeah, it's just called Right. <laughs> yeah. Basically, right. Basically, it's just LaCroix. I mean, and yeah, I, I, the stuff that's like the Sipsmith gins and somebody dropped off up here the other day, these weird bottles that were like $40 a piece for 500 milliliters. And I'm like, the most expensive thing in my well is, you know, a seven-year-old whiskey and it's $40 for a 750. Why am I paying for something without alcohol? You know? So I don't know. It's just kind of crazy to me. That, that whole category, I think is kind of silly, but I, again, the mocktails are for real. You know, I mean, people are ordering them pretty uh pretty consistently yeah you're right well let, let's transition to the detroit scene in general i think of your restaurant group as really contiguous right as, as like when i think of the detroit Re- restaurant revolution that that took place you know in the late aughts and then through the the tens i think of your restaurant group first i just do i think you guys came about at that exact time frame when when there was a real renaissance in the city or that hadn't been there before i know slows gets sort of the first in credit a lot of the time and you got, but you guys were short after and then did so many different unique and creative things that demonstrated that Detroit could have a vibrant and diverse restaurant community that was, was cutting edge and doing some really great things. I think of your restaurant group when, when I think about that era and we had Melody Batons on right a couple months ago and we, we talked about where we thought the, the, the trend was going to go. So where do you see as someone who is really at the forefront and, and in my mind at the, at the crux of, of that revolution in Detroit, where do you see the scene going now a couple of years post pandemic? And do you think we can reclaim that kind of, of, of dynamism? Do you think that there's a, a significantly higher ceiling for the industry in the city than we have right now? I'm, I'm interested to hear your take. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you very much. That's that's a, a very nice compliment. We we tried to be you know really involved in the uh, initial resurgence of the restaurants sort of coming back. Can't, obviously, we got a shout out to Slows and Dave Mancini from Sapinos and you know El, El Barzone and Rose and a couple of those places that were there, but were you know really great before us. But yeah, I think that right now we, there's still a lot of opportunity. Obviously, you know we can't see the future, and everybody is not back in Detroit working, which you know, certainly hurts places like Wright and Company and Bad Luck because, you know, if half of the city that works in Detroit is not actually in Detroit, then that's kind of a problem for those numbers. But I think that the powers that be that own all the real estate in Detroit are eventually going to make all of those people come back for in-person work, uh, in-office work. And so I think that that situation will resolve itself. But I think that the sort of to the overall future of the market, I think that what we're seeing is that Kind of like what I did, I couldn't have bought, you know, I lived in Chicago. I couldn't have bought a building in Chicago and opened a bar in Chicago. And, or I couldn't have really done what I did in Detroit and Chicago. And I think that a lot of people are seeing that. And I think that that is why there is an influx of uh, more talent, more chefs, more restaurateurs coming to Detroit because the barrier to entry is lower. 
by in many different you know different uh, metrics, and we have a wealthy, intelligent clientele that is willing to spend money on great food and great drink. You know, so I think that we do have just I think it's you know the best is yet to come. I guess with with the Detroit restaurant scene, I think it's just going to continue to grow and continue to get great. I mean, I'm you know I'm really happy to see that we're getting a couple of little you know James Beard nods here and there. You know, it's so tough to compete with a market like Chicago, which I think probably spends more money per, you know, more money per restaurant than any other build out anywhere. I, I, it's hard to say, but, but anyway, I, I feel like Detroit is a really, in a good place. And once everybody comes back to work uh, and the demand is back, I think that we'll continue to see uh, growth over the next, you know, 10, 20 years. I a hundred percent want to believe that that is true. And I think, I think, a, 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 I think, a close proximity, no matter what, will be true of that. We'll see if we can get 100% of these people back all the time. GM has at least sent some people back and others have sent some people back that has put the trend on a positive trajectory. But yeah, it's been tough and we feel it, we feel it real. I mean, this is such a, in, in Lansing, it is such a uh, state employee driven town in, in, in the downtown scene. And the, it is a ghost town around here because they most of them haven't come back. So we feel the same way here in mid-Michigan, my friend. Right on, right on. And you have the draft coming next next year, right? Yeah, so yeah. that'll be big. Yeah, um, yeah people that'll be just huge. crash. I'm not sure we're going to have quite enough hotel rooms to go around. <laughs> Can you just let people crash on on some of the bar floors uh, for I'll, a couple I'll days? I'll have to. I have no <laughs> idea where all these people are going to stay. I mean, they're building three hotels in Corktown right now. So, I mean, there the you know there's and I know it's not just for the draft, but. I mean, there's more and more happening, but yeah, that's going to be crazy. That is going to be absolutely insane. Yeah. Shout out to our friend Claude at, yeah. at Visit Detroit, who is doing a good job and focused, I think, 24-7 and maybe then some uh, on, on trying to make that a successful event. That's for sure. A heavy task, but he's doing a great job. Yeah. No, that's, that's going to be a good one. So transitioning to outside of Detroit, you are opening your first establishment, not in the city of Detroit, called Fingers Crossed. I'd love to talk more about that that process. First of all, how'd you come up with the name? I think as I was reading through your list of names of your operations, some of like time will tell, like to me that that gives me a little bit of a laugh. So what what's the reason behind fingers crossed? Is it like fingers crossed this works or like what's your yeah, decision making in that? For sure. Well, I love the cheeky names like bad luck was from a Philip K. Dick book and time will tell was <laughs> nice. uh, we, we had signed the lease. We had signed the lease for time will tell like right, right before the pandemic happened. And we didn't actually have a name for the bar. And so for like two years, nothing was happening and it was going to be called something different. And eventually I was like, we're just going to fucking call this time will tell because whether or not we get it open, whether or not the pandemic goes away, whether or not that market ever turns around, you know, it was just kind of like, we'll just wait and see. So that was the genesis of time will tell. Fingers crossed. I, I, I talked to my wife and I have been coming up to this area, Northport for a couple of years. And uh, I met the previous owner of this place. He used to be called the Garage Bar. Uh, his name is Bruce. And we sort of talked and he said, well, maybe one day I'll sell you the bar. And I, a couple of years ago, my friend who lives up here full time called me and said, he's ready. You need to come up and talk to him because he's like, he's like ready to get out. So I did. And we hit some hiccups like right, at, right when we started. We, we sort of had a problem with a liquor license because it was this cottage license. And they were trying to like say that it wasn't going to work. Anyway, so I ended up naming the LLC Fingers Crossed. And then, and then we opened last year as Garage Barbecue, sort of a just a little refresh on the uh, on the previous brand. And I found out that the previous restaurant when it was here was called the Little Finger, 
um, instead of before it was garage bars called the little finger. And so I thought, well, I, perfect. I've already got the LLC called the finger called fingers crossed. So we're just going to call it fingers crossed. And yeah, it, it is a little, it's cheeky and it's a little bit like, hopefully this works out, you know, but it's, so it's far kind of, it has been. It's kind of like the approach we have to the episode titles of this podcast. So yeah, right. I appreciate it. <laughs> right, 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 right. For sure. No, it's like, it's like a jaded optimism. Like I've been through some stuff, still hopeful. Yeah. And that, that, yeah. to me, that defines the restaurant industry. In right. That's, yeah, that's, that's why we call it the Detroit Optimist Society. You know? uh, 100%. Oh, listen, I, I grew up going to Northport. Our extended family had a, a little cottage up there. And so I'd go up there with my family. And I can't, uh, this is, this is reflecting back on, on a youth. So I didn't exactly know the hot restaurant scene of Northport when I was 10. But I can't, that was a small village that didn't have the sort of Leland all upscale that I feel like maybe has happened since, uh, since that point in time. So the fact that Northport has gotten uh, itself to a Detroit optimist society opportunity is it's it, to me, feels like uh, Northport's really come of age. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves. There are only like three <laughs> restaurants in town. Um, you know, we are one of them, but uh, you know, it's a cute town. It's, it's really, you know, it's really sweet. I've got a bunch of friends up here and this is like, it's not, I'm not like expanding northward. This is like my vacation bar, you know, because I can't not work. And so if I'm going to be up here every summer, I might as well have a job to do while I'm up here. Uh, is sort of what I, I tell my wife. Um, no, so anyway, not, so I don't want to hear that because the Winslow family loves going to a very small place in the UP called Grand Marais. And I could absolutely see a Detroit Optimist Society uh, place up uh, up in that location. So let's let's just keep that opportunity open. For yeah, the future. we'll see. I don't know. If they get, <laughs> if they get good at cloning, we'll see. But I will say, yeah. according to the uh, 2020 census, uh, the village of Northport only has 496 people. So obviously there's a tourism factor involved that fluctuates. But uh, yeah, it's still a pretty small town. So speaking of that, how does that compare, you know, as you've been working on get opening this new operation to your experience in all the things that you've opened in Detroit, going from the city of Detroit to the village of Northport and that operational experience? Yeah, this has been a real a real test because like 80% of our revenue last year, so so we did have this place open last year, but again, sort of as a different concept, 80% of our revenue last year was July and August, and like 10% was June, and then the rest of the year was the remaining 10%. It was crazy. So it, it's, it is very, obviously, I don't have anything like this that is as seasonal in Detroit. Like Q4 in Detroit is about 30% of our sales, right? So it's busier, but it's not insane. Up here, it is just completely different. We every day we're like, "What is going to happen today?" Because we just have no idea. It's you know, I mean, it's it's really wild. Everybody, you know, Monday is as busy as Saturday because everybody's on vacation, everybody's drinking, and it's just a totally different animal. Uh, and staffing obviously is completely different because you know, all of a sudden we go from you know being relatively slow to being extremely busy, and then we need you know servers and. Uh, you know, as the, um, I can't remember his name, the travel, the, uh, ambassador from, uh, Traverse city was on the podcast not too long ago. Trevor okay. Justin, Dukash, yeah. Something. Yep. yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think he touched on it. That labor is a big issue. It's true up here, especially because we are at the end of the peninsula. There's nowhere to live that's affordable. There are no yeah. sort of like monthly rentals. If anybody has a monthly rental, they, they Airbnb it. And so it's, it's not like, it's really difficult to find employees that are, if they have to commute, it's difficult to get them to commute. We're fortunate because a lot of the, our current employees, their parents have houses here. And so they've kind of grown up like summering here. And so that honestly makes up like 75% of our workforce right now. That's um, fascinating. 
Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. And then a bunch of them are college kids. So, so after this week, I lose like five servers, which is brutal. So I have no idea how next week is going to go. But if it's, yeah, it's going to be an adventure. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, nope. I Time will tell. There. Time will tell. Yeah. Time will tell. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do we want to get into the lightning round to wrap things up? I'm ready. Dave, you're, yeah, it's, it's, it's irrelevant if I'm ready, by the way. David, are you ready? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I'm ready. Go for it. I think we have some new ones that are going to be thrown your way that I maybe didn't send to you, but I have a feeling you okay. can roll with it. So, okay. Um, all right. All right. So, what is the last song that you listened to? The last song I listened to, well, yeah, I listened to Young Liars, the EP from TV on the radio this morning mm-hmm. while I was making Pico de Gallo. Nice. Very nice. Oh, yeah. TV on the radio. I didn't. I didn't, yeah. I didn't think TV on the radio would ever get a shout out on this podcast. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. great band. It's been a while, and I sort of was like, I don't producer to Joe's excited about that. I like that. <laughs> They're great. Um, yeah. Um, and what is the last show that you streamed? I mean, funny because uh, I just finished The Bear over the, yeah. this last weekend, and then I just listened to your podcast yesterday about The Bear, and I was like, God <laughs> damn it! I wish I was on that one. But yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, that's such an amazing show. Everything you guys said, you guys did a really good job on the podcast talking about it. But yeah, that was an amazing, that show came out not to go too off, far off the lightning round, but that show came out last year when I had just gotten this place open. And so we were working like, you know, 15 hours a day and then we'd go home and watch an episode. And it was like reliving what we had just been through all day. You know, it's like, it was really trying funny. to de-stress like and you're traumatic. like, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, right. totally. I'm like, why in the fuck am I watching this? I'm just like living, <laughs> like living through all of this shit that we just dealt with all day. It's like, oh my God, we sold out of brisket again. You know, like all oh, this shit. It was really, yeah. But anyway, yeah, our, my whole team loves it. And we all just call each other Jeff. Yes. Nice. So uh, yeah. did you have a, did you have the, did you have a favorite episode? Yeah. I mean, it's gotta be forks, you know, that, that was the best one. I think like that transit transformation. I mean, the, the, He's such a great character and just to see him sort of go through that uh, and like find, finally find his place, I think was the best one. And that like how it's, I think it's like supposed to be at Alinea or whatever. Yeah. I just thought it was really, really cool. And I, yeah, I just love that. I mean, having said that, I know, I know chefs that have worked professionally for 30 years that could not expo the way that that guy learned how to expo in like one week. In six know? days, right? So, um, <laughs> Yeah, in like six days. And like, I think he was polishing forks the whole time, you know? So I'm like, well, that seems a little, a little far-fetched. But anyway, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, there's, you know, there's some, some uh, fantasy tied to a, a sometimes feeling too real show. But yeah. more importantly, were you as offended as Emily and I were when Joe said Copen- the Copenhagen episode was his least favorite? Because that one is still sticking with me. And I, I haven't forgiven Joe yet. <laughs> No, I, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm with you guys. I think Joe's just wrong on this. Um, yes. <laughs> the, I love that episode. Like, I love that episode because it was almost like it. I, well, I loved what they did in the second season of like highlighting some of these secondary characters. And they, they kind of took, they took, took like a little bit of like a chef's table approach with some of it where they were actually showing some of the artistry and the food. And I just thought it was really nice to see that and see Copenhagen and see, you know, his personal development and what he's going through with his mom and, you know, stuff like that. My least favorite was the the Christmas episode, which I was just like, oh my God, make this stop. Like, why am I doing this? You know? Yes. So, but yeah, I, great show. Great show. We are, we are one. We are one, my friend on that one. I'm going to, uh, yep. I'm going to really quickly go off the lightning round and pitch an idea to you that you open a restaurant in Grand Marais in the Upper Peninsula and call it Every Second Counts. I'm just going to throw that idea out there and <laughs> you let us know. If you're looking for financing, I, uh, I'm, that's I'm ready. That's pretty good. Fair uh, enough. Fair all enough. right. You got, we got, yeah. we got two more. I'm a sucker on. for a good name. 
Two more. So what is your go-to cocktail of choice? Let's see. When I, when I, well, probably every day I drink a Negroni at about five o'clock, four o'clock, three o'clock, depending on when I go. (laughs) Yeah. If I get in at seven, it's usually about two or three o'clock. But my sort of my best go-to cocktail, if I'm like at a new bar or, or somewhere that, you know, claims to make good cocktails or a Sazerac cocktail, because it's sort of a, it's an easy drink. It's a simple drink, but it's hard to get correct sort of. And that, that really tells me a lot about the program. If they can nail a Sazerac like right out of the box, I'm like, okay, this place knows how to make a good drink and they're paying attention to the details. Good yeah. call. Good call. All right. We started this episode talking, uh, Emily brought up that the Saturday brunch now is the most popular day part of any, of any in the industry these days, which is somewhat surprising to me as, a, as someone who loves Sunday fun day back in my more carefree twenties. Um, youth. Well, long gone. Uh, what's your favorite brunch prep brunch place in uh, in Detroit? Uh, wow, that's a good question. I historically it had been the Bronx Bar because they had a Bloody Mary bar, and it was like you could get Jeff's flapjacks, and he would like smoke and make you flapjacks, um, just like the dive bar brunch experience. Yeah, um, you know that I love. Uh, but I did have a great brunch at Olin the other day. Olin's, yeah, right, behind, sort of behind Wright and Company. Yep. Um, nice. so that place is spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the, um, I love the, uh, San Morello in the hotel as well. Although I don't know if they have brunch. I had, I like was in Detroit for two days and I went to Olin's in San Morello, just sort of ate, ate at a couple of spots. Nice. Good. Good answers. All right. I think we covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. David, David Kwiatkowski, thank you for joining what's with the pineapple podcast. Hey, my pleasure. Big fan of the show. Thanks for having me on. All right. Good luck next week, man. I I hope you have the staff you need to get through. (laughs) We shall see. Fingers crossed. (laughs) All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Um, Bye-bye.